If you would, please turn again with me this afternoon to 2 Peter chapter 2. We're going to finish up in the first three verses, and we're going to jump to the end of this epistle uh, for the closing. We're going to leave on the encouragement of instruction that God has given to us. But 2 Peter chapter 2, and I'm going to read the first three verses here. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privilege shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now for a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for the privilege that we have of being here. Thank you for the sweet fellowship that we were able to enjoy this afternoon. Father, we thank you for the beauty of the day that you've given to us. Most of all, Father, we thank you for the blood, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was shed for the remission of our sins. Thank you for the working of thy spirit that brought thy conviction upon our hearts, that brought us to that point of repenting and accepting by faith the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ for the adoption of children into thy family, for thy word that you've given to us, and, Father, for the privilege of being able to read it, to teach it, to preach it, to hear it proclaimed. I pray now, Father, that you'd help me to be able with clear words to communicate, Father, not in a way that would create confusion or stumbling, but, Father, a way that would honor and glorify thee. I pray for the brethren that are here this afternoon that you would help them to be able to have hearts attentive. I know that after a good meal and into the afternoon that it is more challenging. That's not a weakness. That's the reality of the bodies that you've given to us. And Father, we pray that you'd give us attentive hearts and what we need today, that we would be able to grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we thank thee and we pray. Amen. As we look on into verse 3 here, uh, Peter gave a little bit of a break before he we went into more details of what the false teachers, of uh, their methods, of what they looked like, of the things that would be going on. Do you ever get, maybe discouraged isn't the right word, but worn down feeling or frustrated when it just feels like everything is negative, 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 or, you know, watch out, watch out, watch out. Uh, it's easy for us to, and it's as if this reprieve is given here uh, before going farther into it, to strengthen and to encourage and to prepare. Uh, that in this verse we see that God's righteous judgment is going to come. It's given to be an encouragement to us as well as a warning to those. First, we see by the judge of all hearts and minds given to us the motives of the false teachers. As we look here, he said, and through covetousness, Shall I with feigned words make merchandise of you? We can't know the heart. God knows the heart. The catalyst that even brings all of this about to start with is the matter of the pride of man, self-centeredness of man. And if you stop and think about it as we talk about false teachers, and if you want to bring it to today, because we're going to draw some conclusion here looking at some situations in our present day around this thing called the emerging church and really the shoots that are coming in from many Baptist churches and other churches that are the emerging church philosophy. 
and movement, uh, we need to realize that pride is the root. If you were to go back to Ezekiel chapter 16, you'd see that pride was really the original sin for Sodom and Gomorrah. When we think of Sodom and Gomorrah, we think of sodomy. But if you look at it, it was pride given to us during Ezekiel uh, chapter 16 as the beginning, the root of it. And that's where this all comes to. And we need to understand that God's given an antidote, and that's the matter of humility and meekness. And as we look at this, we see that through their covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. So we see the method that they use. First of all, there's a covetousness here. It's a self-centeredness on their part. And they may say, well, it's not self-centered. Anytime we're not willing to walk obediently in the light of God's word, then it becomes self-centered. If we start making our own devices, our own ways, we've turned from God's way, so then it's self-centered because it's my way. It's my reasoning. It's my philosophy uh, that's taken the precedence. So it's through this covetousness uh, that they, with feigned words, shall make merchandise of you. And that phrase, with feigned words, literally means words have been fabricated, that have been molded for a specific purpose, a specific reason. Music is dangerous for that very reason, because music really molds our emotions. It molds and directs the way that we think, the way that we're going in things. It's one of the reasons it's one of the great instruments, great and largely used instruments for moving away from God's Word. It's one of the reasons we need to be very careful. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the beginning of that epistle, said, And I, brethren, when I came unto you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. And the whole purpose that he came in that way, he said that you would not be enamored by the eloquence of man. He wanted their faith. He wanted their belief to be established in the faith of God. And we see this matter here with feigned words, with molded, fabricated words. What is it that draws so many people? It's eloquent speakers or preachers. The other side of it is how many people in churches with godly pastors or godly Sunday school teachers, how many may visit and say, he just can't keep my interest or you know, he's not deep enough for me. That's pride. Is it scripturally sound? That's the criteria. Is it scripturally sound? Not how eloquent, not how tremendous of a speaker he is, not what a showman he is. Is it scripturally sound? And notice what the, they're doing with these feigned words, with these molded words, to make merchandise of you. It literally means to trade and to sell. The goal is not the desire of seeing people saved and growing in grace and in knowledge. It's what can be used to achieve to get to the next step, to go farther and farther, to grow a bigger church, to grow a bigger name. Sadly, I've heard men in ministry make the statement, well, I want to pastor for a while so I can get the experience on my resume to be able to do this, so I can get the experience then to do this, so I can develop my resume. That's really the same principle that's being talked about here. It's not for the purpose of serving God where he would have me. It's to use you to get to the next step of where I want to be, of what I want to achieve. The danger here, they may be doing it in a sincerity of heart, but in fact it's because that sincerity of heart is self-centered instead of God surrendered. It's covetous that these molded words are making merchandise of you, the believers. 
So here again, the warning being given. Do you like somebody telling you that somebody's trying to use you? None of us like that, do we? That's what Peter is warning us here. That's what the Holy Spirit is warning us here. There are those that would seek to use God's people to manipulate them and to use them for their own end, for their glory. But with all of that, now we come to this matter of God's judgment, which is given, first of all, for a warning. But secondly, it should be an encouragement to those of us that know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Do you ever get this feeling of, I call it the Eeyore syndrome, nobody loves me, everybody hates me, think I'll go eat worms? You know, I'm the only one that's left in the world. Oh, me. The sun's shining today. I'm going to get sunburned on the top of my head when I go out. You know, there's always something wrong when we get to that uh, point of discouragement. Actually, godly men have had that same experience. Psalm 37 by King David. Psalm 73 by Asaph were written by these two men of God being honest with what they had gone through but also of testifying of God's faithfulness that uh, Asaph said, my feet had not well slipped until I went into the sanctuary of God. That it looked like the wicked were prospering and the righteous were the ones that were being, were perishing. And it's easy for us to get caught up in that. And here the Holy Spirit has given us the reminder that judgment is going to come. The last phrase is, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. In the Hebrew, it's actually two parallel phrases. Essentially, it's saying the same thing in two different ways to emphasize uh, what's being said there. The first part uh, is literally saying, whose judgment now for of a long time lingereth not. That matter of judgment is literally a judicial action that has already taken place, and the verdict has been given. So if you stop and think about that, those who are false teachers, the judgment has already taken place by God and by God's word. The verdict has already been given. doesn't matter how eloquent they are. doesn't matter how much of a good salesperson they are. The judgment has been given. Of a long time literally means it's been a long time. That judgment has been a long time standing. There's nothing new. There's no change that's taking place. Again, we come back. God's word, you'll get to it later in Psalm 119, forever settled in heaven. Our minds don't understand forever, but it means there was never a beginning, there will never be an end. It's always been before time existed and after time ends, settled in heaven, that God's judgment has been established for them. And it lingereth not. It means that it's, not idled, it's not delaying, it is going to come in God's time. That means for us that we need to pray for wisdom, patience, and to be faithful. It will come, not for us to get so arrogant and say, God, I demand it right now. God, you need to bring this judgment upon them right now. In fact, the other way we need to look at it, why has God not already brought judgment upon the earth, the final judgment? He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And even though the judgment has been established, they can still repent. And that's what we need to be praying, is that there would be a repentance, a convicting of heart. And then the second part of this parallelism, and their damnation slumber, slumbereth not. So it's just really a building onto that. And again, their damnation, that's the same word that we've heard three different times, is damnation, 
uh, pernicious, and then uh, destruction. It means their utter destruction is going to come, that there's not going to be any delay, that it is going to come upon them. Our finite minds, again, can't even begin to understand what that looks like and what that means because of the holiness of God. And if you stop and think about it long enough, for people that you may know and love, they're caught up in this. How do we, how are we going to respond when God's judgment comes? First of all, we need to pray that we have holy hearts if we're still on this earth and we see judgment coming. Not glorying, but there ought to be a sorrow at that point. If it's after the rapture, again, our minds can't understand, we're going to have the holiness of God. I don't know how all that goes together except that God will be honored and glorified in that which takes place. And then after he gave this bit of reminder that the judgment has already been established, the verdict given, and the judgment is going to come in God's time, then he went on giving more detail of these false teachers that we would be able to understand them. But with that, before we go to the end of the chapter, I want us to just take a few minutes for some application today because it is a very, very serious matter that is taken often too lightly. We become complacent. We become weary. And sometimes it's just because of a lack of knowledge that we're complacent in these things. And we need to be teaching the warning on these things. Uh, I want to give some examples of some quotes. I'm reading a book right now regarding the emerging church. Uh, because it has far deeper roots even in independent Baptist churches than what most people realize. As we have been going to churches uh, in ministry and uh, looking for uh, pastor, uh, possibly the opportunity of pastoring, we've come to realize how blindly it has entered in. As we were having coffee this morning at McDonald's before we got here, we are talking about Jennifer's mom's church that is a totally emerging church now. It started out as an independent, uh, I suppose a fundamental Baptist church, and it is now an emerging church. Uh, no bars hold, uh, held back. And I want to give some quotes that give a little bit of an understanding uh, of how this is coming about for our own protection. The first one is from a, a book that I'm reading. It says, it's really not a rebellion, talking about the emerging church, and he was quoting a pastor. He didn't give the pastor's name. He was quoting a pastor. It is a re really not a rebellion so much as it's just finding a new set of answers, a different way of being Christians. It's finding a new set of answers. What are the questions that you're asking if you're looking for a different set of answers? Because God's word, again, has given us everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness. This is a pastor that said that. Peter Drucker is a name that I don't know if you've heard or not. He's really one of the foundational operatives financially, philosophically, every way, going back really probably to the 80s for the groundwork of what we now see as the emerging church coming. <clears throat> but this is a quote by him. The future was with pastoral churches, ones that put a higher priority on answering people's needs than perpetuating some specific doctrine 
or ritual or institutional structure. What he's saying is that doctrine is not what is important. It's finding people's needs. It's that need focus, that need centered uh, type of a philosophy. So the importance is not doctrine. It's not institutional structure. In other words, church polity. But that's not what's important. It's finding out what's necessary to meet people's needs. The seeker-friendly type of a philosophy or idea. God's word is clear about that. In Titus, Paul wrote, but speak to other things that become sound doctrine. In 1 Timothy, Paul wrote, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. That's God's answer to this philosophy that has taken such a root and such a hold. Another man, a pastor of a megachurch in Minneapolis, his youth pastor became one of the initial young emerging leaders. Uh, but the pastor of this megachurch, Leith Anderson, wrote in his book in 1992, the only way to cope and be effective during this period of structural change in society is to change some of the ways we view our world and the church. It is what some call a paradigm shift a new way of looking at something. Such a shift will allow us to view our changing world with new perspective. It is like a map. Old maps from 1950 may have sufficed before the construction of interstate highways and the expansion of major cities, but new maps are needed now. Likewise, we need paradigm shift for the future. That's wickedness. Truth is, if you want to use his analogy, the geography hasn't changed. The geography is the same. God's word is the same. The maps are using the same geography uh, that existed. So we need to realize this movement that's taking place around us, it's appealing. It comes in very easily. It means that you need to guard closely who you listen to who you read, you need to understand that when God gave his word and completed his word, he established until the day of the rapture, he established the local church for a purpose. And for those that want to get involved with listening uh, to men, and I'm not saying it's wrong to ever listen to men. You can listen to Pastor Webb on the internet if I said this, listen to men on the internet. But we need to realize no man on the internet can be your pastor. A pastor is one that knows the sheep, that knows the needs of the sheep, that knows the field, the pasture where the sheep are right now and what the needs are right now. And nobody else can intercede on that. And how careful you need to be and diligent to guard your hearts, to guard your minds, and to be careful of teachers. But with that, if you would, please turn over to the last two verses of this epistle. There's no way we can leave the end of 2018 or a Sunday without the words of encouragement from God's word because we are more than conquerors. 
we do have victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the last two verses of this epistle in the closing, verses 17 and 18 of chapter 3. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. In the closing, Peter gave a final warning here. He said, ye therefore, beloved. First of all, notice that term, beloved. It's easy for us when we're communicating to somebody, especially if it's something with correction or instruction, it's easy for us to come across in a tone that doesn't sound too loving. It's one of the reasons as parents it's critical in disciplining children that you not be angry, even if it means you send them to the room and you have your cool-down period before you go in to deal with them, that you can deal with it in love. The other side of it is when we're the one that's being reproved or rebuked, isn't it easy to feel beat up on they don't love me? And here Peter in closing, as he gives the final warning before he goes into the matter of the encouragement, he calls them beloved, reminding them how dear they are to him, the love that he has for them, to remind them, to not allow them to feel overwhelmed. And these things, with our children, when we discipline them, after the spanking and the crying was over and uh, they said what had been done wrong and, and asked forgiveness and they prayed and we prayed and we forgave them. There had to be a hug, a kiss, I love you, and coming out of the room smiling together or we didn't leave the room until we reached that point. And that's really the reminder of right here, that matter of the love. And with all of these things, he's coming back now to bring them to the closing of the warning and saying, consequently, because of all of these things and really because I love you, he said, seeing ye know these things before. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. God's given us warning. God's given you warning. So are you going to arm yourself? Are you going to equip yourself? Are you going to allow yourself to be uh, diligent in these matters? And again, going back uh, to some terminology that's used here, seeing you know these things before, uh, that word that's used before is the same word that's uh, used as foreknow. Uh, that translates foreknow in the book of Romans where Paul said, For whom, God, uh, whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. In chapter 11, he said, God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. For those that like to twist uh, God's word into uh, forms of unscriptural theology and to say God's foreknowledge is something that it's not, it's the same word here. You foreknow, just like God foreknows in these matters because you foreknow these things. You've been warned. You're aware of these things, beloved, uh, because you foreknow these things. And then he, the things that he's reminded them of over and over again, to love God, to trust God, to be reminded of these things. If you would, look over to chapter 1, verse 13. That matter foreknowing. Yeah, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Then over to chapter 3 and verse 1. The second epistle, beloved, 
I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Those things that you foreknew, just because you foreknew it, it also means the matter of needing to be reminded. And that matter of stirring up, it literally means to awake fully. So as the Holy Spirit was giving these words, as Peter was writing these words, it was to awaken fully. And as Peter is closing here saying, these things that you foreknew, you have been awakened fully. You have been stirred up to remember these things. Don't allow yourself to get cold. Stay stirred up. It's important. It's critical that we stay uh, stirred up on these things. The next word that we have here is a command that was given. It's not just a shout out of a warning, it's a command. He said, beware, lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked. Fall from your own steadfastness. It's a command that was being given. It literally means to watch, to be on guard on. It literally means to be avoiding these things. You know these things. Now be diligent in avoiding these things. And it's an ongoing command that has been given to us. And how do we do that? God's word over and over tells us. In Ephesians, Paul said, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. In Philippians chapter 1, he talked about uh, the matter of proving. David in Psalm 101 said, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave unto me. So that matter of beware, foreknowing and being aware, it means there's a responsibility. That means action has to be taken. We like to be uh, float along in some things. We like to just think that things are going to happen the way we would like them to happen, that we don't need to be busy, but we do need to be busy in those things. Beware, lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. That matter of lest ye also being led away, nobody is immune. There's a sermon that I heard preached by a man that I now know is not, was not, he's dead now, uh, scripturally sound, but was in my younger days in independent Baptist churches. Uh, but a sermon that he, I heard that he preached that had some truths in it, Bible truths, and it's how the mighty are fallen. And the example that I remember from that message was the larger a tree is when it falls, the greater the crash, the greater the destruction and damage when it comes down. When that man fell, there was a lot of damage that came because men had been following him uh, in his undoctrinal uh, teaching that had been taking place. Here's the warning that's given to each one of us, lest ye also fall, that the potential exists there. Don't ever one day think you're beyond the point of danger, that you're beyond the point of that possibility, uh, that taking place in your own life lest ye fall from your own steadfastness, that firmness God has firmly planted where he wants us to be. Psalm 1, David said that the man that meditates in God's word day and night is like the tree that's planted. Planted, didn't just spring up, planted by the rivers of water that bring forth his fruit in his season. Are you standing steadfast? Are you purposing in your heart that you're going to walk steadfast? That you're not going to allow yourself to be given to any compromise whatsoever in your life? He said, to grow, fall from your own steadfastness, 
but grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So here we're given the antidote. The warning has been given, and now the antidote that is given to us. Uh, Moreover, because of these things, moreover now, and here's the second command. First command was beware. The second command is grow. Now, for young children, growth is an exciting thing. For those of us that get older, physical growth is not so exciting because it's no longer up this way. It's in another direction that's not quite uh, as preferred. But this is growing, the matter of growing spiritually. And it's a command given to continue, to keep on growing and to not stop growing. Don't be content. It doesn't matter if you live to be 91 years of age. As long as you have the ability of mind, you should continue to be growing in the Lord. I'm going to use Calvary Baptist Church here as an example of really what this word growing is in spiritual lives. Pastor Webb and I came down very similar paths, just uh, long ways apart geographically from each other. Uh, And it's a blessing to see, but to look at Calvary Baptist Church, have you ever heard people say, our church is the same church it was 20 years ago. It hasn't changed a bit. Now, that can mean something good, but really more often than not, it means something bad. And when I look at Calvary Baptist Church in Carborough, it is a church that has changed enormously, dramatically, but not for the bad. What happened? A pastor that had a heart for God as he studied God's word, and his heart came under conviction. He studied God's word. He made application in his own life. As he made application in his own life and grew, he taught and led the church, and the church grew likewise. And Calvary Baptist Church of Carborough today is not the same church that it was 50 years ago or 40 years ago. It's a church that is growing in the way this term is meaning, it's the way that each one of us individually and our lives and the command that's given here. So the antidote, the protection against all these warnings given about the false teachers is now come the point of the command of grow and to grow in a specific way, in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To grow in grace literally means within the sphere of grace. Again, turn back over to chapter 1. Begin verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Even here in the closing of the letter, Paul's taken him back to the beginning of the letter. He'd already given the instruction of how to do this growing a whole series for instruction right here that's being given, but to be growing in the realm. If you go back through the epistles, through the Pauline epistles, an interesting study is to look at Paul's introductions 
grace and peace be unto you. Grace, somewhere is in the introduction of his epistles. The critical aspect in our lives as Christians be growing in that sphere of grace. There's an acronym that I'm sure most of you probably know. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. It's that which I have received that I do not deserve. Do you understand if you're growing in grace, in that sphere of grace, it's going to develop within you a heart of thanksgiving, a heart of understanding your relationship with God and looking up. Instead of being the victim, it's the victor. It's going to keep you from being caught up by these false teachers. It's going to keep you, when you get into those down days, from being drug on down to look the other direction, but to be reminded, I'm a child of God and growing in the sphere of his grace, of what he has given to me as his child, as his son, to grow in the grace and in the knowledge. That matter of knowledge is a real deep one. It's thought, thinking, knowing. It's up here. But the danger is from here to get it into the heart. That's where the knowledge has to be. How do we grow in this matter of knowledge? It occurs through habitual obedience to the Word of God. Obedience. We can know everything, but if we're not being obedient, if we're not making application, it's one of the reasons that so many churches have come to such a dangerous point. Paul gave warning that... uh, the false teachers that uh, people would heed to themselves, teachers having itching ears. And so often people say, well, it's because of false teachers and pastors coming in. I would contend understanding that all of Scripture was given to every Christian. We call 2 Timothy a pastoral epistle, and it is an instruction to pastors, but it's an instruction to every born-again Christian as well. And that matter where he said, reprove, rebuke, exhort, That's the way the preaching should be. But for the Christian, the Christian should come into church with a heart prepared to be reproved, to be rebuked, and to be exhorted. And what has happened, even when there was sound preaching taking place, Christians coming in and being entertained by the sound preaching. They may amen it. They may even tell the pastor on the way out, boy, you stepped all over my toes today. But when they got out the door, nothing changed. They were entertained, and they were not obedient. So that matter of growing in grace and in knowledge literally means being obedient to God's word. And it also requires a matter of study to be able to apply. I'm not going to ask it here, but when we were coming back reporting to the supporting churches, uh, for several trips back to a number of the churches, I asked people with eyes closed and heads bowed, how many could say that on a daily basis, understanding that there are providentially there are days here and there that were hindered but on a daily basis they spend time reading the word of God not a devotional book not another book but reading God's word one church was 25 percent or higher most of them were in the 10 percent range a number of the churches not even the pastors raised their hands do we wonder why we're struggling while we're following false teachers The command that's given here, grow, after being aware, grow in the grace and the knowledge. If you're not studying God's word, it doesn't matter how many Sundays you come in here and hear some preaching. If you're not personally reading and studying God's word and making application from that, 
you're going to grow, but you're going to grow cold, you're going to grow cynical, you're going to grow hard, and you're going to backslide. Proverbs 21, last part of verse 11 says, And when the wise is instructed, he receiveth knowledge. The wise man, the one that fears the Lord, truly receives the knowledge. That means to internalize it, uh, to bring it in, to start doing those things. Paul wrote, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. We need to glory in the riches of God's word, be nurtured and be built up in them. And then notice in the closing what he said in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The matter of the possession. None of this is going to take place unless you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. The terminology that he used here, and it's important when we read Scripture, to look at the names that God has chosen to give for himself in the Scripture. The first name that we have here is Lord. It's not the word that we usually think of of God. The word Lord that's used here is the one that literally means master. Those that say that somebody can pray and ask Jesus into their heart without repenting and asking him, committing themselves to him for him to be Lord of their life, did not get saved. They're preaching a false doctrine. They're, they say, well, that's a work, works. No, it's not a works. It's a humbling of oneself and understanding the need and turning from sin and myself being my master to submitting myself, not perfect, never going to be perfect until I'm absent from this body, but submitting myself to Jesus Christ being my master. So that's the first aspect we see here, the one that we need to be growing in. Second aspect, Savior, the one who saved us. Jesus Christ, the name that was given uh, to our Lord, the one that was given by the angels to Matthew, or to Joseph there in Matthew, that Jehovah is going to save his people. To Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one that has come. That personal relationship, it means maintaining that personal relationship as well. And then the closing phrase, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. That doxology, that closing, it's giving praise to God. That's what ought to be on our tongues at all times. We're to give thanks in all things. We're to give thanks for all things according to the word of God. Because we know that God is in control, that he's the one that's directing our paths. And if we're giving him the glory, both now and forever, he's being exalted, he's being lifted up. We sang one hymn this morning by uh, Watts that I don't know that I've ever heard before. But in following the words as we were singing it, I was uh, just uh, totally moved with the aspect of the frailty of what that, I think that was the right hymn, the hymn was expressing of our inability, our words will never suffice to fully praise and to honor and to glorify God. He's worthy of more than we can ever give. But we need to give all that we have and all that we can. There's a second aspect to that. When we're glorifying God, that's another protection for your heart and my heart. I can't be glorifying God and complaining at the same time, can I? So if I'm glorifying God, I'm protecting my heart. And then the third aspect, if I'm glorifying God, 
there's a testimony evident to the world that's around us. I can't remember somewhere this morning I heard somebody mentioning the matter of as we're witnessing in our community. People have to see the reality in our lives or they're not going to hear the gospel no matter how many times we tell them. The reality beyond salvation that it's a living faith and that we're growing and that we're praising God and honoring glorifying God. So to him be glory both now and forever literally means he's the one that deserves all praise and all glory. It's guarding our hearts, but it gives a pure testimony uh, to the whole world. And then the closing, amen. As we close the year of 2018 and go into 2019, I would like to challenge you with this thought. Our thoughts should not be on how bad the days are. Our thoughts ought to be on how humbled we should be that God has chosen us to be the generation to serve him in these days. God's known these days are coming, and that he's chosen us to serve him. How is it in your life as we approach the new year? Are you going to purpose in your heart to beware? God's given the instruction. He's given all that we need to live godly lives. Are you going to beware? Are you going to be diligent? And are you going to be victorious to give him the glory now and forever? Let's pray, please.